Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the bloody... Oh, it might not be morning. Might not be morning where they are. Welcome to the Bloody Bizarre Podcast. I'm Sarah. Uh, my name's Emma. Get off your phone. No, I was looking at the message that you sent me. Didn't I just give you... You just like, replied, yeah. But I gave I was, you like a happy face, a laughing face. Yeah, but also I'm pulling up my research to talk through today. You should have You should have been prepared. Oh, I should have been prepared, should I? <laughs> Uh, well, you surprised me. You came early. Heaven forbid. <laughs> I'm early to something. When you've come all the way to my house as well. <laughs> I haven't had to lift a finger. <laughs> uh, we've got a little bit to talk about at the start because we want to shout out a couple of people. Mm-hmm. We've had three people who've gotten in touch this week, which yep. is amazing for us. A, a record. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first of all, Anon Anon. Look. We hear ya. So Anon Anon had some critique for us. They basically just said episodes need to be on time. And they do. They do. And it tickled us a bit because there were absolutely no pleasantries. There was no hello. There was no goodbye. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> I respect it. Yeah. I respect it. So we will. We, we are working on that. Figured out the upload issues. We've got that mm. on, on track. And I think that you will notice that the last two episodes have been on time. To after. be fair, when they were late, they were only like a day late. Well, yeah, but it's still really annoying. I know it's really annoying. Yeah, I when, guess. When you have like a schedule and you have like a whole, a whole thing around when you listen to podcasts and then it's not available, you're like... Yeah. And also, it's nice that they're um, paying enough attention that they notice when episodes mm-hmm. are late. So, that's cool. So, thank you for that. Sa- thank you for that. Uh, Samantha, I won't I won't say people's last names because I haven't. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Samantha, thank you. She she said that we have warmth and wit. I don't like hearing compliments. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Samantha. <laughs> that's really sweet. Yeah, it is really sweet. And finally, a massive thank you to Tim. Um, who had a whole host of compliments for us. I, th- I sent it to you. Yeah. But also had a heap of suggestions of future cases we should do, of future, like, interesting stories. So what I said that I would do is we can both go through and we can pick out different ones that we want to do. Oh, so yeah. one of them I've already got um, for later in the year. So that's the family. The family? Yeah. From South Australia? No. Okay. No. Okay. Um, okay, because I, I am currently doing some research into the South Australian murders, the family murders. Oh, yeah. No, no, Not no. That. Okay. No, this is the cult, the family. But he's he's given us a heap and there's some really good ones. Legend. Yeah. Yeah. So. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Tim. It's, yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. So thanks everybody who got in touch. Keep it coming. Uh, Jen, I love it. Jen gave us a post. Oh yeah. Jen um, was listening to us. Thanks Jen. And um, while on holiday in Santiago. Oh, uh, she did this like um, walking thing across Spain. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, was it Portugal? I'm not sure. Sorry, Jen. Either Spain or Portugal. But yeah, it was like she met her mum over there and then um, did this. I saw that. Yeah. And, and dance there now, right? Dan- there and um, yeah, now they're in Italy. Oh my God. Yeah. Living up. She has the best travel stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she was a travel agent, but like mm-hmm. her travel stuff just is like, oh my god, she's very aspirational. Yeah, um, and our, oh, this is a, people. Other people don't know this. Is our friend Jen, who has been like all over the world, and yeah. Yeah. continues to, mm-hmm. um, and um, beautiful Olga. Beautiful Olga. She sent me a photo of herself listening to the podcast on her way to grocery shop. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you to. Mm. All those folks. Thanks, everyone. And everyone who just listens quietly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we really appreciate it. In saying that, should we... Jump in. Get going? Yes, we should. I have quite a case for you today. (laughs) 
I don't know what that sound was. <laughs> it sounded like Marge. Oh <laughs> <Help> me. <laughs> um, okay. Today I'm going to tell you about an unsolved quadruple homicide that I think I know and I believe the police know who's responsible. Oh, hello. Today I'm telling you about the Keddie Cabin murders. Oh, shit. The most brutal murder case in Plumas County history. My sources today are BuzzFeed Unsolved. Yes. Wonderful that was, episode. That was a great episode. One of my favourite episodes. Yeah. Um, That's the episode where it's, like, kind of creepy. Yeah. Like, they're, like, there's people looking at us. Yeah, there's people in the town still alive that probably know what happened and yeah. are possibly involved. Mm. Wikipedia, uh, plumisnews.com. Patchy's snoring. Yeah, but his eyes are open. Yeah, sometimes when he gets really comfortable, he'll start snoring early before he falls asleep. He's just, like, settling into it. Yeah. All That's Interesting.com article by Eric Hawkins uh, and CrimeMagazine.com by Jenny Johnson. Okay. So before we get to the night of the murders in April 1981, I want to give you a bit of establishing information. Also, if you can hear a dog snoring, that is what it is. Um, it's Sarah's dog, Patchy, who, despite having his eyes wide open, is making snoring <laughs> noises because he's so comfortable on his $1,000 bed. It wasn't $1,000. Okay, how much it, was it? Oh, a few hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to say because it's close to 1000 All right. Um, so, Glenna Susan Davis, or Sharp, after she was married, was born in 1945 in Massachusetts. She went by Sue, so that's what I'm going to refer to her as going forward. Sue ended up in Connecticut, where she lived with her husband, James Sharp, and their five children. I'll give you names and ages in a minute, um, but there's five of them. I also read that they initially lived in North Carolina, and I'm not sure which is correct. Maybe it was both of them. It's inconsequential, really, but the majority of articles did list Connecticut as their living area. James was in the military, and Sue was a stay-at-home mum with five kids. That's, you know, I don't imagine you can do much else. Sue has been described as a quiet woman who loved her kids. James was allegedly horribly abusive. Mm. I believe that. Piece be- of shit. Because Sue was so desperate to get as far away from James as possible that she separated from him and fled across the country with her five children. Apparently, Jane. on her. Yeah. That would be like not having, uh, being a stay-at-home mum, not having like an external source of income with five kids, mm-hmm. having to like just and drop this is, and run. This is pre-widespread internet. Yeah, yeah, pre-cell exactly. Pre-cellphones. It's amazing that she got out. Mm-hmm. I wonder how fucking abusive he must have, like, she must have been, I'm going to die if I Yeah, well, he previously tried to run her and her eldest son over, uh, and he's also pulled a knife on her before, like, yeah, he's obviously... He's just a psycho. Yeah. Sue's brother, Don, was living in Northern California at the time, so Sue headed there. So, <laughs> from Connecticut, which is in the toppity-tip corner of North America, to Connecticut, uh, sorry, to... Um, to Northern California, which is on the complete opposite side of the country. Yeah, I don't think I know where Connecticut is, but... I, I think it's above New York. Right, okay. Yeah. I think. If, if that's wrong, cut it out. <laughs> or just leave it in. No, who cares? <laughs> Upon arrival, Sue and her kids all lived in a trailer, which her brother had previously occupied, in the town of Quincy at Claremont Trailer Village. The following fall, the family had moved to Cabin 28 in the Sierra Nevada town of Keddie beautiful i imagine mm, yeah sierra nevada pale ale is my favorite beer in the world it's just pretty difficult to, to get here and i bought it for beer. you for christmas before probably i think yeah Keddie is a small town as of 2020 the population was just 68 <laughs> is that even a town <laughs> or like a a village it's just like a large family gathering yeah <laughs> um so i would suspect that this is a town where everyone knows everyone 
Yes, sixty-eight people. I think you can um, you can memorize. That. That's smaller than my graduating year of high school. By a uh, long shot. Long. That's, that's like smaller than my. It's smaller than my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> it was reported that Sue liked to keep to herself, but the townsfolk would have pretty quickly known when someone new moved to town. Oh yeah, can you imagine moving into that town? Scary. Every single person just like at their window. <laughs> yeah, there's a new person here. <laughs> Um, the house was much larger than the trailer and had become available when Plymouth County then Sheriff Sylvester Douglas Thomas moved out of it. So there, Sue resided with her 15-year-old son, John, uh, 14-year-old daughter, Sheila, 12-year-old daughter, Tina, and two younger sons, Rick, 10, and Greg, 5. 15-year-old John Sharp moved into a room in the basement that could only be accessed from the outside. Um, The doors to the cabin were traditionally kept unlocked so that John could access the upstairs, including the bathroom. Uh, The two younger boys shared one bedroom and Sue and her daughters, Sheila and Tina, shared the other bedroom. Yeah. So it's just a three bed. Yeah. Three bedroom, one bathroom. Uh, And I think it's pretty small cabin. Yeah. Um, But you know what? After leaving like a relationship like that, I'm sure that that she would would feel so incredible. I'm sure. Um, Sue had a part-time job at the Quincy Elks Lodge. To supplement her income, she also enrolled in a California Education Training Act program, and for that she received a small stipend. Sue participated in a, in a typing class at Feather River College as a part of that education program. Right. Also attending that class were Marilyn and Martin Marty Smart, who became friends of Sue's. The two families lived relatively close to one another. I think it was like two two houses away, two cabins away. And apparently... Sue was counselling Marilyn about her husband, Marty, and how to leave him as she had done her husband because apparently Marty was also abusive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another player in this story, a man named John Bo Babetti. Bo was staying with the Smarts after having met Marty at the local veterans hospital where he was being treated for PTSD. He was staying with who? Marty and Marilyn. Okay, so there was Marty and Marilyn. They didn't have kids, but they had this. No, they did have kids. They had one kid, Justin Smart. Okay. But I'll get on to him in a minute. Okay, and then they had this dude staying with them this, who was, this guy, trying, Bo. To, who was yeah. trying to. So his name's Joe Bo. No, John, and then. So his name's John Bobetti, but people call him Bo. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to call Martin Smart Marty because that's what he went by. Yeah. So on the night of April 11th, 1981. 14 year old Sheila Sharp went next door to the Seabolt residence for a sleepover with her friend. Tina, the 12-year-old, was there watching TV and was told by Sheila that their mother, Sue, wanted Tina home by 10 p.m. So Tina left the Seabolts at 9.55 so that she could get home. Okay. Right? Yeah. I, I know where this is going, so that, that just makes me really sad. Mm-hmm. This is a really sad story. Okay. So... John and his so John the 15-year-old son and his friend Dana Wingate were also at the house. Uh John and Dana had spent the day together and had been seen hitchhiking. Um there were multiple reports of them being seen hitchhiking. Um just for your information Dana is a boy. Okay. Yeah. Um yeah, I had I had pictured a girl then. Yeah. Um I did too. No offense to any male Danas out there. No, no, no. It's a completely normal. It's like Leslie. I immediately yeah. picture a, a woman but I, I picture know. Leslie Nope. Yeah, me too. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, so Dana Wingate is um a young man. And also Rick and Greg's young friend Justin Smart, the son of Marilyn and Marty mm-hmm. was also spending the night. Okay. Okay. So let me recap. Yeah. L- recap who's in the house. Yes. So Sue, the mother, is home with John, the eldest, and his friend Dana. Yeah. 
Sheila is staying the night next door. Yep. Tina was next door but has come home. And Rick and Greg and their friend Justin Smart are also there. Question. Yes. Are the teenage son and his friend Dana... Are they in their little, like, basement room? So it's not actually known what time they arrive home. Okay. So who knows? Right. 14-year-old Sheila returns home the next morning at about 7 a.m. on April 12th. She walks into the massacre of her mother, Sue, her brother, John, John's friend, Dana, who were all in the main living room, and Tina was nowhere to be found. The three younger boys were still asleep in the adjoining room, seemingly having slept through the vicious attack and remaining unharmed. However, this was later disputed, and I'll come back to this in a minute. Okay. Sheila, however, doesn't know that her brothers and their friend are alive or dead, uh, because as soon as she sees the bloodied corpses, she runs back to the Seabolts for help. Jamie Seabolt, father of the Seabolt house, quickly attended the scene and got Rick, Greg, and Justin out of the cabin through the bedroom window so they weren't exposed to the horrors in the living room. Good, good. Uh, Seabolt, Jamie Seabolt, admits to having entered the property briefly through the back door to see if anyone was alive, and he admits that might have contaminated some evidence, but what else are you going to do? Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, you rock up on a scene like that. What if there is somebody who's clinging on to life? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The three murder victims were bound with electrical and medical tape. They had then been stabbed, strangled, and or bludgeoned. Fucking hell. The murders were described as notably vicious. Two bloodied knives, a butcher's knife and a steak knife, and a claw hammer was found at the scene. One of the knives, a steak knife, was bent at a 30-degree angle, likely sustained during the attack. God. Should we have put a little warning at the start for, I mean, I guess if you're listening to this episode, you know it's going to be fucked. I'll put a warning in the in the description. Yeah. So, um, Sue was discovered lying on her side near the living room sofa, nude from the waist down and gagged with a blue bandana and her own underwear, which had been secured with tape inside her mouth. Had she been sexually assaulted? There was no mention of that anywhere. Hmm. Okay. She was partially covered by a yellow blanket. She had been stabbed in the chest. Her throat was stabbed and slit horizontally, the wound going through her larynx and nicking her spine. And on the side of her head was an imprint matching the butt of a Daisy 880 Powerline BB pellet rifle. So that hit her with the gun. Hit her with the gun, slashed her throat, bludgeoned. John's throat was also slashed. And Dana had multiple head injuries and had been uh, manually strangled to death. Why did they have to, I guess, the, the covering their ass and not wanting to be caught, but why'd they have to kill the, why'd they have to kill any of them? But mm. like, obviously this random kid has nothing to do with their vendetta against this family. Mm-hmm. You're making a lot of assumptions in the way that you're speaking that alludes to the fact that you know a little bit more about this case than oh, I, general I, people. Well, I know what was in that BuzzFeed episode. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So I like I I knew it was going to be fucked. I knew they were, they were going to die, and I have a suspicion of who's responsible. Yes. Okay. I'll tell you. I'm suspicious of Marty. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Uh, <laughs> there's a reason I told you about him and Bo at the yeah, beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. Back to this um, bloodbath. So John and Dana suffered blunt force trauma to their heads caused by a hammer or hammers. Autopsies determined that Sue and John died from the knife wounds and blunt force trauma and Dana died by asphyxiation. So Dana was strangled, the other two were bludgeoned and and stabbed. 
It's at this section that I boarded the plane. So I should let everyone know that I was in Sydney last week mm. and I boarded the plane and I didn't want to waste the four and a half hours. So people around me could definitely see what I was typing. Um, and I, I told everyone, I, I told Sarah, I made the writing really small. So it was like 0.8 um, so that I could try and type on the plane. <laughs> Who was sitting next to you on the plane? Uh, an older lady. She would have been shook. Yeah. <laughs> she might have loved it. Actually, yeah. So back to the cabin. Deputy Hank Clement was the first officer on the scene. He reported blood everywhere. On the walls, the bottoms of the victim's shoes, Sue's bare feet. Oh, so they were just like, oh, God. See, when you hear details like that, you know it wasn't quick. They were, mm. like, trying to escape. They were they were already injured and running through it, and it's just awful. Like, at the very least with these ones, I like to think – slit their throat first they died and then they got all their frustration out but when it's when you hear details like that it's like no they unless they were moved but why dragged through it feet dragging who knows yeah i suppose but you think if it's on the bottom of their feet that they've like stepped in blood yeah well so uh, there was also blood on the bedding in tina's room the furniture the ceiling the doors and on the back steps but um, yeah, investigators did believe that the bodies had been moved and rearranged from the positions in which they were murdered, which is interesting because they were all three, all three of them were likely murdered in the living room. So for them, them to be rearranged just to be placed back in the living room is weird. Yeah. There's no need for it. Was there blood anywhere else in the house? Tina's bedding. Tina's room. Yep. A small amount on Tina's bedding, um, back steps, but it was all mainly in the living room. So Tina. It would take hours before the police even realised that Tina was missing and the FBI was called. Years later, the crime still officially unsolved, there was an anonymous tip-off about a skull that had been found. The caller identified the skull as Tina's. Due to the lack of growth, it could be assumed that she was killed either on the night she was taken or sometime around that. So she was just never found? No. Well, her skull was found. Yeah, but I mean, like after this happened, immediately after they, they just they didn't find they her. They were like, yeah. we don't know where she is. Yeah. Um, also weird about this tip off. Um, Actually, been a noisy boy. See how he's fully awake and he's still snoring. Sorry. It was on the anniversary, wasn't it? So yeah, this tip off about the location of her was on the third anniversary of the murders. Mm-hmm. Three years later. Three years later to the day. The skull was found about 50 miles or about 80 kilometres away in a different county. For reference for you, that's about from here to Mandra. Whoa. Mm. So like nearly an hour's drive. Yeah. And so the tip-off must have been either the killer or someone who knew the killer. Yeah. Because they they could identify that it was Tina's skull despite it being just a skull um, and it was on the anniversary of the murders. It's also interesting that they even like – decided to to call it in i know that there was maybe like some tiny tiny part of them that felt guilty Mm. yes yes interesting indeed Mm. okay so the police on the scene initially spoke of how there was no apparent motive but the thing is there's all these abusive partners. Yeah, what the fuck? Actually, there's an abundance of motive rather than the opposite i can think of at least two people who have motive yep also, given that this is a small town and everyone knows everyone, and also given that the population is sub 100, or even if there were significantly more residents in the 80s, it's still going to be a small population to have to narrow down. 
Hang on. Also, Tina was still missing. So couldn't the motive have been to kidnap the girl? Abduct Tina? Yeah. Yeah. But I think for such a brutal crime, that doesn't really fit with just an abduction. I suppose. But. Yeah. Well, anyway, yes. To say there's like no motive. Zero motive. I know. There's multiple motives. Yeah. An outsider having committed these crimes is also less likely given that a non-native of the town will be more likely noticed and will, will have stood out. Yeah. Um, multiple people reported seeing John and Dana hitchhiking that evening, so people definitely noticed shit in this mm. town. Yeah, with, with what was it, 60? 60, 68 people in 2020. Um, there was more of them in the oh, 80s. but was it's 68 people? Yeah. The shame there wasn't like 69. one more person. <laughs> um, but uh, there was significantly more in the 80s, but it's still not a huge population. Yeah. So... I would think also given the brutality and the personal nature of a lot of the injuries, even a rudimentary profile would suggest that this was committed by someone or some people who knew the victims. I would also think that it wouldn't be off the wall to consider that it was more than one person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was different different types of murder. What is it? Different and you're talking methods of, of murder. You're talking about one adult, and also, so the boy, the boys were 15. Mm-hmm. So 15 year old boys, they're not aren't, tiny. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're like some of them. Yeah, they can be quite strong. Yep, yep. Um, yes. So, but the sacra- uh, the police said to the Sacramento Bee, which is a newspaper, "quote Any case without an apparent motive is the toughest to solve." I don't want to be screaming police cover up this early, but. <laughs> Sounds like to me like they're kind of inoculating people to the fact that this they're not going to solve this case. Yeah, was that like early days that they early said days? That? Yeah, so you would think early days you'd be like anyone with information. Yep. We're looking at every angle. Yep. Why would you be, just be going straight to throwing your hands? It's up? really difficult to solve, guys. We're probably not going to solve it. There's like zero motive. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> so. Maybe not of much importance, but there was also quite a bit of drug trade in the town. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, it was just marijuana and hashish, but, um, you know. A marijuana and hashish different things? Yeah, I think so. Do you want to do a quick Google? Yeah. I'm curious. I think hashish is like a different type, a different, like, it's 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 marijuana, but it's a different... Um, uh, marijuana and <laughs> hashish are marijuana and weed the same thing. <laughs> Hash versus weed. Both hashish and marijuana, also called weed, pot or ganja, are parts of the cannabis plant. The major difference between the two... Ah, uh, okay. So um, normal like pot is the dried pieces of the plant, whereas hashish or hash is a paste from resin or sap of the plant. Okay. Hash contains a higher concentration of psychoactive chemicals. Hell yeah. Got to get that hash, boy. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it was mostly just that. So pretty okay. – l- l- of all the drugs that it could be, not in- not crazy. No, but um, I was watching a documentary a little while ago about a certain area in America where there's a lot of marijuana grown and, like, a lot of murders. Oh, stuff. yeah, I watched that one too. You watched it too? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I think that even though we're like, oh, yeah, it's weed, it's nothing, I think the fact that there's a lot of money in it still means that yep. it's, yeah. It's worth um, noting. Mm. Um, and also another motive. Yeah, yeah. Fucking cops, man. Okay. So while we're on the topic, don't, don't be too rude to police. I I really do respect police, which is hard to say with events this week in the media. But while we're on the topic, let's touch on police incompetence. Okay, okay. 
I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try and stick up for them a little bit. I don't think they need it. That's fine. Um, so I want to know. It was at this point. Oh, sorry. This is my writing. Um, I put the I put the computer away at this point on the plane because I was self conscious. <laughs> and then the next note is it's now hour two of the flight and I've brought the computer back out. Yeah, who cares? Because I I'd also had two glasses of wine, so I was like, fuck it. Like, yeah, I um I sometimes like doing things that feel illegal but are not. Mm. So like writing, you could be writing the most like deplorable shit on your laptop and it's not illegal. Yeah. Well, some, some, sometimes it is illegal, but not what we'd be writing. Yeah, exactly. You're <laughs> just writing something that happened. Mm-hmm. So, where was I? Yes, the, the police uh, incompetence. Um, at the same time, I'm going to cover some suspects. Okay. As a kickoff, the police failed to properly secure the crime scene. Okay, yeah, that's shit. And look, fine, we say that often. That's yeah. not like, I'm not, that doesn't scream cover up to me. Mm-hmm. That's just like a little bit of incompetence. Incompetence. An early theory was that Dana and John, the two oldest kids that were killed, were hitchhiking that evening. They either led the killers to the cabin, or sorry, killer or killers to the cabin, or that they walked in on the attack and were then collateral damage. Yeah. Yep. I could see that. Yeah. I think it's probable that the two were not the intended victims of this crime and that Sue Sharp was that the actual intended victim. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily tell us who committed the crime, mm. uh, but likely someone that had something against Sue. Yeah. Someone like Marty Smart, who was allegedly a violent, angry man who was aware that Sue was counselling his wife. Mm. So he knew that she had he been apparently in knew. Marilyn's ear, been like, yeah, dump him. He's a and loser. He, according to an investigator, he went ballistic when he found out. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Mm. So you recall the Smart family and Bo? Yes. Well, they were early suspects, specifically Marty and Bo. You just said that. Bo as well. Oh, Bo. Okay. Yeah. Marty and Bo lived two cabins down from the Sharps. So can you tell me a bit more about Bo? Not really. He was a veteran um, of the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, he had PTSD. I also read somewhere that he was borderline uh, – he had some mental – issues and that he was he was borderline something right um and they had a a bit going on he had a lot going on and he also apparently um was very suggestible and would just like follow people around like a lost puppy kind of and was he mates with marty well they'd only met like a few weeks earlier at this va hospital Right. Uh, and then Marty was like, yeah, come and live with me, Bo. Like, I think it was just that Marty was like a psycho and was just like. Can you imagine your husband being like, I've met this great guy and he really needs a hand. Yeah. So and he brings this guy back. I know. And uh, actually, Bo was kind of hot, in all honesty. Uh, yeah, but. <laughs> but yeah, no, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> you can cut that if you want to. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, apparently Marilyn was not happy. With Bo coming yeah, home. Yeah, I'm but not she surprised. didn't say anything because she was scared of Marty. Yeah, because she didn't yeah. want to get She didn't want to get beaten. Up. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Yep. Yeah, so they lived two, two cabins down from the Sharps, um, Marty, Marilyn, and Bo. Apparently, the three had visited the Sharp cabin earlier in the night to invite Sue Sharp to the bar with them. That's dodgy. She had apparently declined, and so the trio went alone. Apparently. Right. So Marilyn as well. Marilyn as well. Okay. While at the bar, Marty was pissed off about the type of music that was playing and had complained about it. The trio left the bar with Marty still, like, in a heightened, angry state about the music. Apparently, Marilyn, when they got home, apparently Marilyn watched some TV and went to bed while Marty called the bar to complain about the music again. Oh, my God. 
god. He's one of those guys, you know? Yeah. Just can't let it go. Mm-hmm. He's been wronged. You yeah. Know? Yeah, even though it's like fucking music. Yeah. So he calls the music, uh, calls the bar about the music. Uh, what and- does he think they're going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, sorry, give us your personal playlist, Marty. Yeah, exactly. We'll make sure that that's playing. Spotify doesn't exist yet, but we'll make it happen. Yeah. Dickhead. He probably had the worst taste of music. Yeah, he would have. <laughs> so then after this phone call, apparently he and Bo returned to the bar. What on earth? So soon after this investigation started, the Plumas County Sheriff's Office called in the Department of Justice, which was based in Sacramento, California. Detectives from the Department of Justice questioned all three of these people. Marty, Marilyn and Bo. And they concluded pretty quickly that they weren't involved despite the fact that during the interview, Marilyn told the investigators that she left Marty the day after the murders and that, that Marty had a violent temper and often abused her both emotionally and physically. She left him the day after the murders. <sighs> so, okay, they went back to the bar, right? Mm. Is there? Do you get into what they did after that? Uh, tangentially. Okay. So I've got timelines. Okay. Yeah, so... During the interrogation of the two men, Bo and Marty, they both gave contradicting statements and provided potentially incriminating information. For example, at one point when talking about whether one of the younger boys may have woken up during the attacks, Marty says that Justin could have seen something, quote, without me detecting him. What? This was allowed to slide and was not brought up again. My God. Another misadmission. Marty spoke about a hammer and then without prompting said his hammer had recently gone missing. He doesn't know that a hammer has been used in the attacks. Or does he? You know. Um, It was also revealed that the Plumas County Sheriff, Doug Thomas, had spent time counselling Marty and Marilyn. And I read in, in one place that he had briefly lived with Marty. And I also read a YouTube comment that said that Marty and then Sheriff Thomas played football together. It was also during these questionings that Bo had lied about things that seemed inconsequential, like he'd said that he was related to Marilyn when in fact he was not. But again, that was allowed to slide. It wasn't brought up again. There were discrepancies that were more important, however, as well, um, that were not followed up on. For example, Bo had initially said that he returned to the bar around 10.30, later changing that time to 12 a.m. to apparently fit an alibi. That was allowed to go. Bo also indicated at the beginning of the interview that he knew in which um, cabin the murders had occurred, which you would think that he would. Yeah, I know. Can, I can understand that. But then later he claimed to not know which cabin they were talking about. Oh, so then he was like, oh, no, I don't know. I don't anything. know which. Yeah, I don't know which cabin it is. And then the police were just like, oh, that's OK. We'll point it out to you on the drive home. What the They fuck? were just like, oh, OK, he doesn't know. Like, it's, yeah. I'm still hung up on him saying, oh, he, he might have he not seen me. Yeah. You, sorry, what? <laughs> and then I bet he was like, oh, I mean the killer. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's Oh, right. yeah, that's what you meant. <laughs> it's okay. We get flustered sometimes. It gets worse as well. That's not the worst thing. Oh, my God. Um, it was incorrectly assumed by the investigating officers that Bo was an ex-officer, and so many believed the case was swept under the rug to help out a fellow officer. While none of the surrounding houses reported hearing much during the attacks, cabin number 16 did report hearing muffled screams, but after not hearing continued noises, they went back to sleep. Mm -hmm. Cabin 28 is pretty central in this group of cabins, and it is hard to imagine that a crime would not a crime such as this would not have been heard but if sue is aware that her kids are sleeping in the adjoining room and doesn't want to wake them and if she knows the intruders yeah i can see her trying to be quiet initially yeah initially and then she's gagged so maybe she starts screaming and then her throat slits so she can't scream anymore remember her larynx was cut 
Yeah, and also if there were more, if there was more than one person, they could have yeah. taken everyone out quite quickly. Of course, put, like put tape over people's mouths quite quickly. Yep. And, and I, I bet Sue doesn't initially think she's going to be killed. If it is Marty and Bo, which I think it is, I think that's pretty obvious to everyone listening. <laughs> She knows these people. She's yeah. not going to immediately think they're going to kill me. Yeah. She's she's probably like, what the fuck are she's you She's probably doing? scared, but yeah. she's not like fearing for her life perhaps at yeah. the very beginning. Yeah. I think if if the three boys that were in the room in the house didn't wake up, then it's like it's, yeah, people in the houses around probably didn't hear anything either. Okay. That's um, – you've – Segwayed beautifully to my next point. Oh, okay. So Justin, one of the physically unharmed boys, yeah, later revealed that he might have woken up and seen the attackers. However, this continued to change. Sometimes he would say that he dreamt it. Oh, and hang on, Justin, Marty is Justin's dad. Father, yes. Yeah. And so sometimes he said he dreamt it, and then other times he said, "No, I'm I'm pretty sure I was awake for it." So he's not sure. But apparently he awoke to sounds coming from the living room while sleeping in the bedroom with Rick and Greg. Uh, Investigating these sounds, he saw Sue with two men, one with a moustache and short hair and the other clean-shaven with long hair, both wearing glasses. According to Justin, John and Dana then entered the home and began arguing heatedly with the men. A fight ensued, after which Tina entered the room and was taken out of the cabin's back door by one of the men. Ostensibly, he is claiming that these men were not Bo and Marty because he would recognize his father and his father's weird friend yeah that's dad and the random who's living with us so you know who knows whether he's being accurate or not he was a child when this happened it's very traumatic did they interview him before letting his dad talk to him i don't know because if he's dad, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound like they were yeah. doing anything particularly like proactive or thorough. Yeah, but if they had given his dad the chance to talk to him, even for five minutes, his dad could have been like, "You didn't see me there that night." Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Here's something else bullshit. Based on Justin's descriptions, composite sketches of the two unknown men were produced by Harlan Embry, a man. With no artistic ability and no training in forensic sketching. Who was he? Did they just get someone off the street? It was never explained why. <laughs> what? They had access to the Justin Justice Department and the FBI's top forensic artists, but the law enforcement chose to use an amateur who sometimes volunteered to help local police. <laughs> They're like, oh, let the apprentice kid do it. Yeah. He's got nothing on today. Give we, him a chance to like test his skill. We don't want to solve this crime. Get get Harlan to do it. What the fuck? Is there a picture of the sketches? Yeah, I'll show you at the end. Is it good? No. <laughs> um, God. Another, this is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Another interesting thing to note, shortly after the murders, Marty was allowed to leave California and went to Reno, Nevada. Mm, what a surprise. Yeah. So here's what I and many others think happened. Marty Smart finds out that the new uh, implant to the town, Sue Sharp, was telling Marilyn about how she escaped her abusive ex. Mm -hmm. Marty doesn't like this woman getting uh, nosy in on his relationship. This angry, violent man decides he has to get rid of her. He recruits his mate, Bo, who is not in the best mental state, to go and kill Sue with him. When they get to the house, Sue is asleep on the couch. Maybe he starts beating her and John and Dana get back from their hitchhike and so they have to be killed too. Marty sees that his son is in the adjoining room, so he leaves them alone. Mm-hmm. The pair then leave and are confident in the fact that they know the police and all the people in the town, and Sue Sharp was an outsider anyway. And Tina in this? Tina is just like collateral. collateral. Yeah. Developments do continue to roll in, however. In 2013, new sheriff and investigator Greg Hagwood and Mike Gamberg, respectively, reopened the case. 
They're open to the possibility that there was maybe something underhanded with the previous investigation, so they re-examine everything. After looking through old case files, Gamberg finds a letter that was written by Marty to Marilyn shortly after the murders, but was never looked into in any great detail. Remember, shortly after the murders, Marilyn leaves Marty. Mm. So what, the day after? The day after. An excerpt from this letter reads, quote, quote, I've paid the price for your love, and now that I've bought it with four people's lives you tell me we're through... Great. What else do you want? I remember that from the BuzzFeed episode. (laughs) Great. Yeah. (laughs) I've killed four people for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What? Yeah. What? So, like, I'm just, in what world is that not, like, a confession? Yeah. And two, in his head, why does he think that she's going to be like, oh, thank you so much for killing those people for me? Yeah. That was like a really. You, so the suggestion you is. You know what women want. This, yeah. So the suggestion is obviously he's a psycho, but also maybe Marilyn was also indicating that she was annoyed with Sue's meddling. Perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. And and maybe it was sort of like um, he, in his messed up head, he was like, I'm um, protecting us from yeah. these like outside Outside influences, influences whatever. But and also. Um, three children like you killed three children yeah <laughs> oh also it was noted that um uh marty hated john sharp the 15 year old boy he had a burning hatred for him apparently i wonder if that's because the this john sharp kid was like a nice kid who was like you're a fuckwit yeah <laughs> i bet yeah yeah you beat your wife you're a piece of shit like yeah they also found in this old evidence they found the tape of the Hang t- on. patchy boy his um, nose is up against the wardrobe, so it's like... You've been so noisy. Sorry, baby boy. It's just really noisy. Can you can you breathe a bit quieter? Go back to sleep. Patchy. Let me move bed a bit. There we go. So they also found the tape of the tip-off that came through regarding Tina's skull. The, this was never voice analysed, and in fact, it was in a sealed envelope, so it had never even been listened to again. They just weren't even trying. They weren't even trying to solve it. As a part of the re-examination of the, of the evidence, the police are now examining that tape. Let's and now examining, like in current 2023? No, I think this was 2017. Like, So they reopened it in 2013, and then some of the things come through in 2018, and like, so it's just ongoing. Okay, so they, they are still working on it. Yeah. So let's keep going. Gamberg tracked down and spoke with the therapist of Marty Smart at the time of the murders. The therapist told Gamberg that Marty had confessed to the killings in a session, but the police weren't interested. So the therapist went and was like, hey. Um, he believed it enough. He thought it was legitimate. He yeah. went to the police and nothing came of it. Later, after the murders, Marilyn claimed to have found a bloodstained jacket that supposedly belonged to Tina Sharp, to whom the skull found belonged. Uh, in the family basement and gave it to the police, but no records of such a transaction exist. In 2016, a hammer that matched the one which belonged to Marty and was said to have been missing was discovered in a pond nearby the murder site, possibly one of the murder weapons. Again, drawing a line between Marty and the murders. Mm-hmm. They, could, they couldn't have asked for more evidence. They could not have a, have a stronger case. Yeah. So it's worth noting here that Martin Smart died of cancer in Portland in June 2000. Oh, he got away with it. And Fuck. John Boba Betty, who allegedly had ties to organised crime in Chicago, died there in 1988. So both the main suspects are dead. But 
Sheriff Greg Hagwood, Hagwood had this to say regarding the likelihood of Marty Smart and Boba Betty being the killers. Quote, It's a theory that we are working, to the degree possible, to conclude or dismiss. There's a disproportionate amount of evidence and information that tends to point in that direction. End quote. You think? Yeah. <laughs> and you know what usually happens when there's a disproportionate amount of evidence is someone gets charged. Yeah. But they're dead, so they can't be charged. <sighs> At the very least, though, they can... What What do they do in that case if somebody's dead? Do they, like, posthumously charge them or, like, I, I don't know... Yeah, I'm not sure about what the, the deal um, is. what the process is there, but but they they should still it should be like yes they were guilty like but they can't be they can't be put on trial because they can't defend themselves so they just get away with it yeah oh I mean I think that the sheriff there is pretty much saying yes they did it mm. but obviously they can't charge him they can't charge a dead man he's not there to defend himself. There must be something you can do if it becomes no, well, like they have abundantly to, clear, which it's. But they still like. have to put them on trial. Could could there not be like a uh, someone who's assigned to defend them? I don't think so. If you're a lawyer and you're listening, let us know. Yeah. So, um, Hagwood also said that there are up to six, six suspects that he believes had some degree of involvement in the case, all of whom are still alive. Oh, okay. Speaking of those suspects, in 2018, DNA recovered from the tape at the crime scene matched that of a living suspect. So who else was involved? Who knows? They're they're not saying. They're not saying yet. Okay. Sheila Sharp, the surviving daughter of Sue who found everyone, is hopeful that with new investigators on the case, movement can be made. She believes that in the few years the new detectives have been working the case, more has been done than... than the more than 30 years the Plumas County Sheriffs were supposedly working the case. Oh, yeah. They were actively not wor- – they were – Working to not solve it. Yeah, they were doing the opposite. Yeah. And How frustrating for Sheila. Sheila. And the two young boys that survived, Rick and Greg. Yeah. Um, and that is the officially unsolved case of the Keddie Cabin murders, but I would say unofficially we know who was responsible. Oh, yeah. That's insane that that mm. is still counted as unsolved. I know. Like – is so obviously him. He he's confessed like what three times. Yeah, he can't stop. Or- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. He's like not even. Oh my god! Burn his bones. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Dig him up. Yeah. Don't let him rest in peace. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. Um, I bet you that like. I reckon that they were, like, weirdly pissed off about the music, right? Yeah. They went back to the bar because they wanted to, like, fight someone or something. And then maybe the bar was closed or the people at the bar were just not having it. And just yeah. like, no, no, I'm like, sorry, we're not we're not going to fight you. They or were all hyped up. They were hyped up. They wanted to get some frustration out. And they were like, I know, let's go talk to that fucking bitch who's been in my wife's ear. Yeah. And then, yeah. They Escalated. Just, yeah. Yeah. Lost control. Yeah. Because Marty, so Marty must have had his hammer with him. But I I would guess that the two knives were from the scene, maybe. Mm-hmm. Is there any talk of why Tina was taken so far away? No. It's only an hour. Yeah, but it, it's weird. Why would you – like, you've killed everyone else at the scene. Why would you not just – Well, well, there's also no, no saying that she wasn't maybe killed there and then her skull was just transported there for finding. You know, we don't know what the – But Why? What's the point in doing that? To take it out of the area, maybe, to, to get suspicion off whoever did it, maybe. Who knows? It just seems like a weird thing. When they've just left everyone else in the house, it just seems weird to me that to they... To take Tina. Yeah, exactly. I know, it is weird. Um, 
I mean, I, it's uh, awful to think, but I yeah. do have to think maybe there was some sort of sexual mm. assault element to it. Yeah. There's nothing mentioned about him being a pedophile, but who knows? Mm. Um, he's a piece of shit, so. Yeah. They often are. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not sure. It's a very, very frustrating one. It's it so is. frustrating. It is, but uh, like, you know, Hagwood said, there's six people alive in the town that he is suspicious of and is actively pursuing. Yeah. Um, he's got one of their DNAs, so. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess they could at least charge the people who have helped cover it up with yeah. obstruction of justice. And I think that should fucking include that previous cop who was working I on agree, it. Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. He obviously knew more than. Yeah. At the very yeah, least, his level of incompetence is, like, negligence. Yes, yeah. Because um, also he he was questioned about his relationship with Marty and Marilyn and he was like, I don't know them. But he had counselled them before on their marriage. So <laughs> They he talked did about that in the BuzzFeed episode as well. How fucking weird going to, like, the, the sheriff, sheriff for to... marriage counselling. Yeah. yeah, I know. Oh, God. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed that, that uplifting episode. Yeah, I don't know if enjoyed is the right word. <laughs> Quite angry now. Um, do we have time to record mine as well? Because I think mine, look, mine's not an uplifting one, but it's not, it's not. How is it a long one? Um, I would say it's average, maybe half an hour. Well, hang on. Let's, um, let's, let me think about it. But, um, yeah, hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Um, like, review. Uh, tell your friends messages D- oh that was um somebody else commented on one of our pictures and said nice work ladies nat i think her name was okay which, thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks nat i love it so much i love when people get in touch yeah especially uh, when um tim first messaged i was like could this be one of our friends trying to like big us up mm. um but no it's not well he's a friend now is it yes yeah, he's a friend now but yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so get in touch. Um, and, you know, we love to hear critique as well. Thank yeah. you, Anon, Anon. Thank you, Anon. Yeah. Listen in next week. I'm going to be telling you about Heaven's Gate. Oh, I know a little about that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. All right. Thank you, everyone. Bye.